monster that the audience has to be scared of is the filmmaker. They have to feel in the presence of someone not confined by the rules of propriety and decency. They have to be confined to listening to Slasher's podcast. Abraham Lincoln? Abraham Stinkin'. <laughs> Two in the pinkin', one in the stinkin'. This is Slasher's, a podcast about movies and more for those who love horror. And I'll have you know, that's the second time I've gotten it right recording this very same episode. It was better the first time. <laughs> this was better then or it was better the first time? Don't tell me that because I'll edit the audio from the first one over and it won't match my lips, but I don't give a shit. You just had more energy. Well, because no, I was less annoyed. <laughs> it's gotten hotter in here. It's getting hotter. <laughs> So, yeah, do you know what song we're talking about, right? I do actually. Wow, that's it's surprising. amazing because they play it on the regular radio, and it's I heard it so much that less one time. Fun when he actually knows the fuck. It's so funny when somebody says they played it on the regular radio. Yeah. You're like, what? What else would you listen to? As opposed to like the demon radio. <laughs> oh. Do you ever listen to the Christian radio? No, I actually was raised in the church and always. Always have hated Christian music. I'm gonna close my eyes and I'm gonna raise my arms up. Oh boy! <laughs> and no, people are gonna it, think that I'm deep. It doesn't. Have, I was guilty of it. Praise, oh, you were. Praise Sheetar, oh. dude. Nobody is more pious than I was. I was the most pious and beholden <laughs> to the Christ God. And once I stopped, then people were like, "Hey, you changed." And I was like, "Nope, I never believed in the first place." Gotcha. <laughs> Boom. Got him. <laughs> I out Satan. Satan. I really wish that the invention of lying was a better movie. Have you ever seen that? No. The Ricky Gervais one. It's the best oh, premise no. of a movie I ever. I actually kind of wanted to, yeah, but I mm -hmm. haven't seen it. Yeah. Never seen it. Yeah. I like his stand up, though. Yeah, he's fine. It's all right. Yeah. I feel like I agree with him on a lot of stuff, so he comes across as kind of pretentious and annoying. Because I'm like, you're the reason why I say I'm vegan. And people are like, oh, what are those? <laughs> and people ask me about my diet. I don't ask <laughs> about your diet. Do I? I, I asked well, you about you yours. Well, you do me now. Well, but... I mean, you're losing weight. You're doing good stuff. If you should see the six-pack on this, motherfucker. Let's see your six-pack. I mean, pack, I'd right? rather have a cake, honestly. <laughs> It'd be my little bear cub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> so this week, we are doing, and by doing, I don't mean sexually, a little lemon party action. We are <laughs> discussing the life and times of Wesley Earl Craven. This is Chad's job. So going forward, intermittently, we're going to be like, here's a biography. Here's a history lesson. Why? Because everybody, including their grandmothers, has a podcast where they talk about fucking movies. Mm. And I can't keep up. So we're going <laughs> to diversify. And hopefully you like it. And if you don't, you'll skip the episode like everybody did our episode of Ticks. Wow. That was a misfire. Doing an obscure movie from 1993. Not very didn't good, work huh? very well. Didn't, wasn't too good. Listenership. Steady incline since Midsummer Scrum. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's funny because we did Ticks and then I was like, well, see you later for two weeks. I don't know what the fuck happened. Apparently, not so good, huh? Not so good. The yeah. funny thing is, one of those listeners was me because I wasn't on that episode. How fun was that? <laughs> You get to like go back. It's like the like the opposite of the mob. Like once you're in the mob, you can't be out of the mob. So it's kind of like it's that. True. You, you got out. I did. And you came crawling right back. Yeah. Like please. And did I finish that whole episode? Yes. No. You're so deprived for content though. You're always like I listen to, like I listen to everything at one and a half speed. You could probably tell by the way I speak. And Chad's like I listen to everything at like half speed because I need it to stretch for my entire work day. Yep. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> 
we've had people actually ask for longer form episodes, but then we've what? also had people say too much banter. What? Yep, I've had both. Wow. So, I don't know. I've well, contem- our it episode was very long and it did very well. It did. Also, it has the metadata of everything because True. it is a word that is used in virtually everything. It is. Ah, this fucking guy. It is the shh. <laughs> it. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about this, gentlemen. Do, could you imagine listening to three guys in a garage studio talk about nothing? Because I feel like some people want that. But then how do I market that episode? How would I title that? Slashers Talk About Nothing, episode 39. That sounds good. Okay, I'll take that challenge. It's just like a Jerry Seinfeld episode. What's the deal with fist fucking? (laughs) Your hand gets smelly and grandma doesn't invite you to Christmas dinner. Which is funny because he's Jewish. I find it so interesting that half the time when we aren't recording, we have these amazing conversations yes. that are just so free flowing. <laughs> and then it's like the camera camera's on like, I yeah, exactly. like um, balls. Um, <laughs> I have a persona to keep up. It is funny. Like if we recorded our dinner conversations yeah. before... Yeah, starting the actual recording, we're up there with the best. So here's an idea. We record our dinner conversations (laughs) and then you throw in like the pictures and stuff afterwards to kind of illustrate. I'm not going to listen to us. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's me. I eat an avocado roll. (laughs) Dude, you eat like 12 avocado rolls. I know. Well, shut up. That was the moan of one. Then I do that 12 times in an hour. But we've actually had conversations like the Instagram or whatever where people assume that the person talking to them is like Brian or Chad because my character on the show is nah! They're like, wait, you're too tame and nice. And I'm like, I'm actually not the worst. <laughs> so that's one of the things that would suck. You'd lose all of this that I've built up over 37 episodes, 36 episodes. Whoa. Oh, yeah. It's, it's getting real, gentlemen. We're getting deep. Balls deep. Damn it, you beat me to it. Speaking of people's <laughs> balls, let's talk about Wes Craven's dad's balls as he ejaculated into his mom's vagina hole. Oh, I think that's that is what true. happens. That's when... his tragic origin story. <laughs> his dad sounds like a piece of shit. And his he mom is. is basically Kathy Bates in The Water Boy. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. It is very Movies true. are the devil. Card games are the devil. Swearing <laughs> is also the devil. Yes, that's great because I feel like you said devil, but you have the V as a B. Is you're like, devil? The devil. Baba Boucher. Let me make sure I caught that. Yeah, so Wes Craven was born August 2nd, 1939 in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh. To Paul Craven and Caroline. Craven. Craven. But I put this like right at the top. His dad's a piece of shit. Because yep. <laughs> <laughs> when Wes Craven was three, his dad went peace out and left the whole family, him and his two siblings. And yeah, but then he died a his year later. Paul, so his sister, Carol. Yeah. He dies of a. What did he die? Of? Heart, attack Heart attack at work. And me as a work competitor, I'm like, ooh, salacious. But <laughs> money. So interesting enough, after watching the first season of Mindhunter and or binging the second season of Mindhunter. Great I feel stuff. Like there is something that happens to young men where the father's a piece of shit and leaves and it's just the mom. They either A, turn into serial killers or B, turn into directors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's a far stretch. Checks but, out. I mean, checks out. I mean, good. majority of the serial killers, if I'm not mistaken, are like 
they just have moms, right? It's like a, a absentee father, and then uh, there's well, a lot of a lot of them have like here. very abusive fathers or, as well. No, okay. Or yeah. you get like Otis or, Tools dad who made him dress up like, or it was his mom who made him dress up like a girl. And that actually is a pretty pervasive. I think John Wayne Gacy was made to be a quote unquote fruit pricker, even though I don't like serial killers. I prefer my fictional. Right, killer right, people. Right. I know a lot of them, and she's <laughs> not personally. I know of a lot of them, and a lot of times it's tied to sexuality. So yeah, okay, yeah. I'm honestly surprised that like he wasn't more of a fucking weird fetishist. Like, sure, he did create the genre of rape revenge movies, and also he directed porn. <laughs> almost sound like you said rape revenge porn. Like, almost <laughs> did. I wouldn't know what that's all about. I that wasn't sarcasm. I don't. Did it. <laughs> yeah, one of the movies we really don't touch on mm. is anything that's like kind of rape revenge. Right. Yep. Which Jake won't watch it. Nope. Not gonna do it. Just Jake. So me and I, Brian watch it forwards, backwards, slow I mean, motion. Anime, honestly, <laughs> than any other any other fucking anime. Basically, we had somebody reach out and be like, "When are you gonna do the next anime one?" And I was like, "I'm still waiting for a recommendation that doesn't involve violence against women." And they're like, "Oh." Well, then it's just not happening, huh? <laughs> I, I still think we should do Ninja Scroll. It's really not that bad. No, just yeah. Censor that... the, like, if, you, if it matters so much to you, just download an, uh, we'll a We'll make a of safe it. space exactly. for Jake for that like three-second part. That's fine. And then we're good. We're the snake man. Just censor those yeah. things. I, I want you to do this. <laughs> this is what I want. I will... Well, the rock guy, though, too. Oh, yeah, So that's there's true. two. There's yeah. two. <laughs> yeah. This is what I want. I'm asking, just imagine... <laughs> And then you're a, good. a very reasonable <laughs> request is that you download this little fucking movie of yours, and instead of rape, I want you to put that 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 the, the old man doing the six <laughs> from the commercials. Yep. Oh, okay. The ant- antithesis of a rape scene in my head. Okay. Okay. There's a, a legend that Wes Craven's dad was buried on his fourth birthday. Did you know that? No. That's what he claims, but I found no evidence of the same. Oh well, that'd probably mess him up. So you were talking about his mama. Here's a quote from Mr. Wes Craven. For all her genuine love towards me, I never felt that she loved who I really was. Oh my God. Ow, you poor delicate little man. I want to hold you and hug you, but then also you are a weird, creepy guy. So Yeah, there was a lot in the book that I read about his mom kind of not wanting him to do anything he really wanted. <laughs> yep. Like even when he goes to college, she was kind of like, what are you going to do with all that learning? <laughs> and he's the first of their generation to do it. His brother had got him a job, a job as like right. a, uh, in the a power line company. Yeah. Or, yeah. She basically like live vicariously through him and kind of like control what he would do. She kind of wanted to. So basically the brother got him a job and he, Wes Craven like worked there for like a day and was like, oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, Fuck this, I'm out. Very specifically, yeah. he talked about being up on like a 30 foot pole and it's like 30 degrees out. And he's like, no, I got this is not for me. And it seems like the way his mom kind of kept tabs on him and everything, correct me if I'm wrong, was by just creating a very strict moral structure around him. So like the fear of God was like his babysitter, right? Yes. And is this also in Cleveland or is this like on the outskirts of Cleveland? Like he was born in Cleveland, but he they did they live like in Yes, Cle- I believe they did. They did move around a lot because she was single mom and all that, but yeah. and made some bad choices with men. It's not yeah. necessarily like it's a small town where she can keep tabs on him, but she not could. like that. No, okay. Yeah, no. But yeah, it was just a really weird family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about the five no's? Yes. So growing up, they were super and extremely religious mm-hmm. just had, like bobby boucher's mama <laughs> yes and they had five like strict no's throughout the whole church which was no drinking no dancing no gambling no smoking and no movies no non-disney movies yeah 
they they said like no movies, but his mom made the exception kind of of letting him watch Disney. Meanwhile, movies. how many like sexual innuendos are in Disney movies? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you mean like the penises <laughs> on Little Mermaid cover or the Song of the South, which came out when he was a child? <laughs> yes, racist. <laughs> but Zippity Doo came out of it, so I mean, Zippity Doo he gets a free pass. See, I know those songs. so no drinking no smoking i'm cool with that no dancing that's the plot of footloose brother i know right absolutely so that's i'm honestly surprised that west went into horror instead of i mean come on (laughs) of all the people of course if he's going to do a musical movie he ends up doing one with meryl streep about violins (laughs) fuck that i want kevin bacon dancing you book right and i did write no gambling but they did it was actually written as like no card games i have that too so i was like i don't i don't know if that actually meant a weird which means i get to play dice i think it also has to do with tarot something i know okay so tying it all together kevin bacon right footloose yes prance around and dance around it's a great movie who does robert england want to play freddy krueger kevin bacon yep Six degrees of Kevin Bacon never got easier. Damn. It's <laughs> fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Always happens. Well, so even in junior high, Wes Craven was made to carry around pamphlets and a Bible. And the Bible had to be red, the color red, so that when people ask, why is your Bible red? He would say, because it's supposed to be red. R-E-A-D pun? Yep. Wow. I like that. Yeah. He was one of those kids in school, huh? Oh. Well, he was I, a kid who actually, was made to do this. Yeah, he was made to do it. But he was also into it until college, and then he well, found he marijuana talks about, and was like, Woo! He talks about throughout his entire history, he never felt the connection in church, where he always felt like he was going to go to hell, sort of a thing, because there was no connection. That poor kid in Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. Yes. Mic. Yeah. Right? Basically. Okay, yeah. that's what Better I was... Better than Ezra? What's his <laughs> name? Ezra Miller? Yes, that's what I was getting at. Totally reminds me. I totally understand that. So basically, Wes Craven turns into a cloud of negative energy that becomes a rape movie. (laughs) So Yeah. And so while they're moving around a lot, he actually gets stuck with a family. The Daltons. The Daltons, yes. And the dad, basically while the mom's working and, I don't know, out with other men, whatever. Mm -hmm. Touches him. No, no. He okay. actually. Well, so in the, the biography that I'm watching, <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah. So the babysitter, there was a man. And I'm like, male babysitters don't happen. This is going to get bad. And he goes, has an eight millimeter camera. I'm like, this, this is, is getting, getting worse. worse. <laughs> and then, he was like, and then he just would show me movies and it was nice. And I was like, okay. Right. And there was another allowance. <laughs> what for... kind of movies? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was like. I was waiting for the, why did you make a movie that has like a 17 minute rape scene? And he's like, no, it's all good. It's just a it's lot of like kosher. black and white films, like huh. old, I don't the even Zabuner know. The Zabuner footage, for example. Back and to the left. <laughs> so, JFK assassination humor, anyone? No, anyone? No. Okay. It's in Biodome. It's how I learned that <laughs> phraseology. <laughs> we need to cover Biodome. I, I love, love that movie. <laughs> Purple sticky pudge. Oh, it's so great. But daddy, I wet my huggies. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he basically felt like he never belonged in the church at all. And he always felt kind of like he was going to hell. He talks about his brother standing up in church once during the pastor's like sermon and he's like, what's going on? Like, this isn't normal. And he just like interrupts a sermon, walks up to the front and says, like, I need to make an announcement. And the pastor's like, oh, OK. And he says, I pretty much have sinned and fallen short. And I'm, you know, I need to make amends and I'm here. And then Wes was like, oh, 
I have no one left. <laughs> so that was kind of like his last line was his older brother. And yeah, so he's always felt on the outskirts so of his the religion. Finally, drank the Kool Aid, and then yep. just him by himself. Yep. Wow. Very interesting. I mean, and I've known several people that grew up in a similar type of family, where like just super over strict type of Christian Give me names, specific names. <laughs> you no, know, eighty percent of them, <laughs> my yeah, friends. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know. A great example I'll give, and I'm sure a thousand people can speak to this because it happens everywhere. The straight edge kid, it, the kid who breaks edge, quote unquote is the person who like becomes the identity of a stoner or becomes the identity of a party boy because it's like I had this identity and now I'm supplementing with this identity which is very much with like what I see in Wes's behavior where he was I am going to be this Christian stalwart guy I'm going to go to a Christian university I'm going to do everything right and then when he goes off the rails everybody seems to downplay the dude went off the fucking rails hard like he became a bohemian who was like, oh, wife and kids, I don't care. I'm going to hang out with 20 year olds, <laughs> people who are 10 years younger than me and live as a squatter because I want to be an artist. Like, you know, when they make fun of Toby Flenderson in the office where he was like, oh, I live in an apartment in New right, York with right, 12 people. Right. That was Wes. Yeah. <laughs> so very strange. We're get into it. it's, I don't think people give enough credit to how weird everything got because like, oh, well, he made these. No, no. He was like a hobo with a job for a while. Yes. <laughs> for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes to college. One thing I wanted to talk about because I'm going to steal the show because it's lawyer bullshit. Do it. The first movie that he sees, it's not a Disney movie, is so salacious. He has to go see it in another town because the school could expel him. Yeah. For watching a movie. To Kill a Mockingbird, oh! Gregory Peck. Can you believe it? The obscenity, the lurid obscenity. Uh, Genitals flying everywhere. You know, you've seen To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, you mean the same book that they force kids to read in, in high school? <gasps> Not my high school. No, I'm just kidding. Well, actually, between your year and our year, it might have been banned and then unbanned because that book I, I is read like it. ping pong. Like, like, oh, it's banned. I, it's not. It's yeah. banned. It's not. Yeah, I distinctly remember reading in high For school. For sure. You have a very Boo Radley vibe going about. Yeah, I just wanted to prove that I read it. I just wanted to prove that. By knowing one character. Yep. Did you read that Harper Lee book that came out like 70 years later? It's not good. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't. There you go. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he even had a quote. Oh, his reaction to the movie. Quote, how could you say this is bad? Yes. That's where he like was like, this is all bullshit. You've been <laughs> lying to me. It's what I imagine a kid who's been told he has a peanut allergy, but then finds peanut butter and jelly and doesn't die. And he's like, you motherfuckers. I could have imagined peanut butter dewdrop cookies. <laughs> bubble boy. He's bubble boy. Yeah. He's like, I'm not dead. There you go. I, I figured it out. <laughs> Jake Gulenhulen should play Wes Craven in a biopic. Yeah, Sorry, so, Chad. Go no, ahead. No, it's fine. <laughs> so Wes Craven also quoted like kind of his feelings on the Bible. He said, well, there's nothing much bloodier than the Bible. Imagine a religion whose central icon is being tortured on a tree. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah. The tree of woe, of course, from Conan the Barbarian when he bites the neck of the vulture. You know what I'm talking about. That's what you're talking about, right, Chad? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> I actually took like a census thing or some kind of exa like, you know, statistical thing. Uh -huh. And they're like, oh, what's your religion? I put other and I just put crom next to it. <laughs> I like to think that there was one person in the world who was like, ah, yes. And there's a one like a point zero 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 one percent. And it just says fictional Robert E. Howard bullshit. Oh, there's the uh, the people that have the flying spaghetti monster. Pastafarians. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Absolutely. They get a religious exemption to wear uh, spaghetti strainers on their head. Wow. <laughs> Oh. Like driver's license photos, yeah. 
Hmm. Dude in Australia did it first and it's kind of spread around. Wow. Because you can't question somebody's sincerity and their belief. Right. Yeah. As long as it's been like classified as a legitimate religion though, right? Mm -mm. No? No. You could just like randomly say whatever. You just basically. I believe in this. Well, I guess, I, yeah, no I guess right I'm thinking saying. of the tax exemption. There part. you go. That's very different. That's yeah. hard to get. Yeah. Yeah, because basically it's rich white men who want to make Our other rich white men. podcast is now Joel a religion. <laughs> Sorry. Hot takes with Jake. Fuck that guy. How about this? We're now a religious organization. We're a cult. I'm your cult leader. Brian's going to be our sexy, sultry seductress. Toodles. And all of the money that you give us on Patreon is now tax free, deductible, whatever. <laughs> so basically, just say your prayers and eat your vitamins, and I can live a much more satisfying status of life. <laughs> Chad, are you going to take over or am I just going to yeah, ruin no, this episode? No, I mean, you can just, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, with Craven being refused uh, movies, so most of his love drifted into literature. And that was kind of his big goal was to become a writer. And that's what he was wanted to do in college. Johns Hopkins. Yep. Yep. And got a degree. He also worked at a library where he would basically yes. lived there as a kid reading books and then worked there as a kid reading books and then became a guy who wanted to write books. Exactly. Boom. Age 19, gets a viral infection in his fucking spine, and he's paralyzed for two months and then meets his first wife. That's scary. Weird, yeah. right? I couldn't find a whole lot of detail on this. Wait, so, so much so that I had to like go, wait a second, did I read that right? So and then yeah, gets, I kind of brushed gets, over because I didn't even know. He gets paralyzed, and while he's paralyzed, he meets his wife? In recovery, or? yeah. She's not like a nurse or anything. She's just you know, like their paths crossed. Because at that point, he just kind of has this weird trauma because he had honestly thought about pursuing military service in the Air Force, and then he couldn't do that. And it's weird because, like, what about you says military service? You're like little artsy-fartsy writer boy. And then he, like, I don't know. It's very, he's, he seems, a, like, aimless. Reminds me of, like, my little brother where he says, this is what my career is going to be. And then he gets to, like, right there, and he's like, ooh, uh, I just don't. Just kidding. I don't want to do that. Hard pass. Yeah. <laughs> Does this he hard. listen to this? Uh... No, he doesn't give a fuck about me. <laughs> he's okay. too busy laying pipe. <laughs> so while he's in college, uh, <laughs> one of his classes was to analyze dreams. And this is kind of where he gets most of his like inspiration for a lot of his movies. He kind of says that he's able to like wake up six times a night and record like all the dreams from that night. And I don't know how much of that's really true, but that would be I pretty wish insane. I could do that. Yeah. He said that he was trained to to realize he was in a dream, wake up, and write down what was happening in the dream. Right. And that's just wow. Which I explains why he always looks super fucking tired. <laughs> yes. He looks the way I feel. I well, never I never remember my dreams. <laughs> like ever. That means you have no soul. Four or five dreams. My entire life. Is it the same dream over and over where you no, go to Mars? They're separate. Don't oh, recall. <laughs> oh, it's really weird. Great movie. <laughs> we Good can movie. remember it for you wholesale. <laughs> Who the fuck is Quaid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I just, I go into deep sleep immediately. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, fuck it. Turn I always off. tell my wife that like, I sleep like a dead brick. Pretty much. Huh. Yep. I don't remember shit. So he began to push boundaries in college, you know, kind of just expanding his horizons from growing up so religious but marijuana he, the gateway drug oh yeah <laughs> he also became the editor of the newspaper magazine yeah. whatever for the and after grew his hair out <laughs> after like one publication or i think one or two he got the whole magazine shut down yep. oh what <laughs> i just imagine all the people all the staff just like yeah they said like the president of the college or whatever came in and said well this 
magazine was put in the hands of the editor that kind of like let it go off the rails and we are canceling it for the entire year. Jesus. Yeah. And it's basically because he wrote about a girl that was in a relationship that she wasn't married. So, and then another one was a, I think interracial. What's well, the thing? He used a student publication to advance his writing career because right. he was so like obsessed with becoming a successful writer, but was like upset. Like he talked about, he would send in manuscripts to get approved or published. And then he'd get them back like a year later being canceled. He's like, oh, well, it's because of my teaching that this is happening, not because what I'm writing is just inaccessible to people. So he basically right. used, he used like emphasis on use this as a platform. Yep. Yeah. And then he just threw it away. Well, and that's one of the things that's crazy. So like he also gets a... But it was a super strict Christian college. Yeah. And so when he's writing so about he knows what's somebody going like... On. He knows what's going on. It's not like he's like, oh, shit, right. this happened. Oh, yeah. that's too He was bad. definitely pushing like, the boundaries. Yeah, yeah okay. for sure. So yeah, it was kind of interesting because getting it shut down like so quickly and not even like saying, oh, you're not the editor anymore. We'll have someone else do it. They were like, no, it's done for the entire year. Yeah. Poison do the you, well. Do you think universities are still like that? Yes. A lot of them are. Yeah. Limited public forum. Some. I mean, yeah, As like some, a lot like of the Christian colleges. Christian yeah, you still have to write like a, a behavioral agreement in most of them. Mm -hmm. I think even APU has one. I was just, that's why I was kind of lenient. Yeah. At. It was like I mean, maybe APU like is APU. very lenient compared to even Biola. Oh, for sure. Like Biola is more strict than that one. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And those ones aren't even as bad as there's another one in California that, uh, whatever. Anyway. That's crazy. Makes you wonder if there are people who do like underground radio shows. <laughs> right? <laughs> is that even like a thing now anymore? Now it is going to be podcasts. Like, yeah, yeah. so that's us anymore. now. <laughs> I think it's an interesting point to specifically talk about radio because you only want to hit the people around you who are living the same circumstance. Right, right, right. Like we have people in fucking Kazakhstan who are like, ah, oh, slashes, those <laughs> jolly good boys. <laughs> Notice my accent work on that? Perfect. Brilliant. So some interesting parts about this era of his life when mm -hmm. he's teaching. He gets a 16 millimeter camera and doesn't know what to fucking do with it. So some kids are like, oh, Mr. Craven has a camera. They approach him and they're like, hey, bud you want to do a James Bond parody film? And he's like, well, yeah, I think I do. You want to hang out with me? I'm such a lonely loser, man. <laughs> and so they make this movie on a budget of $300, which he'll tell you a thousand times. And it made $3,000, which he'll tell you a thousand times. And he gets challenged by his department chair who comes up to him. And he's like, dude, you need to be working on your PhD. You need to start getting published so you can be a real professor, get tenure, have a career. And what does Wesley Earl Craven say? Fuck off. Get bent. <laughs> yeah. Suck these nuts. He was like, because he pretty much warned him. He said, hey, if you don't do these things, we're not going to invite you back next year. And he's like, hey, don't worry about it. I quit. <laughs> you can't fire me. I quit. <laughs> and people are like, uh, wrong choice. That's what I mean. Like he's coming up with this weird identity and he thrusts himself into this. And I think it's because of this sense of like allure and like temptation. The first right. thing that he ever directed was a stage performance of No Exit. So I think that it really broadened it. Like, Cause that's, you know, there's like room service, which is like a place set in a hotel. And then there's fucking No Exit, which is this existential thing about death. And it's interesting how everything he does is immediately the extreme of that identity. Yeah. And it was kind of interesting because he had a wife and two kids at the time and he was a college professor. So he pretty much was like, you know, I'm going to risk my family right, right. and just kind of quit this, this good paying job. This isn't somebody in between jobs right. that's like throwing scripts out like crazy. Right. He's like established. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. like. I don't know if my wife didn't work and me right now having two kids that are very young and being like, 
I'm just gonna quit and we'll we'll survive. We're gonna figure, be a podcaster. We'll yeah. It yeah. Out. No, we're not. None of us are gonna podcast full time. But it's kind of oh. like the the antithesis of Stephen King when he did Carrie. Stephen King's fucking destitute and he's writing Carrie and you know he throws the manuscript away and it's this symbolic gesture of like I'm gonna fucking get a real job. I'm done with this shit. And his wife Tabitha pulls it out of the garbage and says, Stephen. You need to finish this. Yeah. Be a real man. <laughs> you need to write. That's what real men do is they write. Yeah. And then here's Wes Craven who's like, I have an established career and I'm giving it all up. And his wife's like, boo hoo. <laughs> yeah, well, she, she should. She was very supportive of him for quite a while. But Dude, then, she put up with some shit. Yeah. But then it ended up being like, oh, Wes Craven gets a job as a, he goes from being a professor to being a pretty much like an errand boy or whatever. Gopher, yeah. Gopher for like a movie uh, company wow. or so- sound right it was like a well, when he was sinking dailies so he yeah. did that he was writing for stand-up for some bullshit like nightclub act right. and then he was also a cab driver but they were so destitute they had to sell their personal car at that point of their life super crazy but one of the things before they ended up breaking up they went on a cross-country motorcycle trip where he rented a motorcycle there's this very interesting thing i want to just touch on at this point because you could see kind of breadcrumbs through his career He's in Nevada eating with his wife. These guys come up and they see him with his hippie hair and they're like, we don't like you. Fucking leave. You suck. And he's like, I'll sue you if you touch me, Mr. Man. And they're like, I will fucking murder you (laughs) and I will bury you in a salt mine and nobody will ever know where you are. And he remembered that. So keep that in mind when we get to a little movie (laughs) about landscape having ocular sensors. (laughs) Yeah. So hills have eyes. Yeah. One thing I just want to touch on what I think is kind of crazy he can kind of spin this all around like after the fact and say, now for you youngins out there, I just want you to look at how my life was and think to yourself, well, you know what? If you shoot for the stars, right? <laughs> you follow your dreams. Exactly. He's Something so like- incredibly lucky. Yeah, he falls no. on his face time after time <laughs> yes. after time. Because you'll see there are several like three-year dry like, spells no, of no you movies. you shouldn't do any of this thing, these <laughs> things that he did. <laughs> yeah. And then he resents the success that he has, and he's like, well, it's not the actual success that I want. And it's like, dude, yeah. you don't have a real job. He's like, like well, I'd really like to make comedies and yeah, maybe some romantic I movies. I was going after what I was really passionate about, yeah. and that's what matters. <laughs> yeah, it's seriously being like, I got a job at Marvel Comics, but I wanted a job at DC Comics is basically the kind of gripe Nobody that he has. Nobody would want DC over Marvel. For sure. Just Talking <laughs> to the guy, yeah, come on. I just showed you guys a video about Daredevil from 1972. I think we know where I stand on that debate. Yeah. If you're a DC fan, you can DC me have sex with your mom, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> also, we're going to touch on Swamp Thing, which is near and dear to my heart. So don't worry, I'll get you back at the long run. He saw Night of the Living Dead in Times Square, and he said, quote, it was the first horror movie that wasn't shackled by the bounds of decency. What the fuck? Don't wax philosophic. It's a horror movie. That's why I love everybody makes that movie in this big political stance. And George Romero was like, nope. Hired the black guy because he was the best actor. No idea what you're fucking talking about. It's just a movie about zombies. Yeah. Later on, he politicizes. But in that first one, George A. Romero was the first person to say, like, nope. Just was making a movie to make a movie. But that also is saying something, too, that he didn't even look at it in that ways. Yeah. Oh, I I think that George A. Romero. It's pretty progressive of him just to be like, oh, yeah, then let's put him in. Yeah, there's some referential, you know, back and forth when it comes to Romero and Craven and Carpenter and Hooper, the, the amalgamation of them all. And like the like, I see your movie. I think I can improve on it. That kind of thing. You know, you look at Hills Have Eyes, Texas Chainsaw, I, you know, Last House on the Left. Those things all kind of have more in common than I actually thought. 
Yeah. So Night of the Living Dead was the only horror movie that he saw before filming Last House on the Left. You want to know how amateurish he was? How? They only used handheld cameras for that movie. Why? Because he didn't know what a fucking dolly was. He didn't know you could wheel the camera around. Legitimately, that's why. And people thought that it was this like bold art choice to make it seem jagged and realistic. Another part of him being lucky. Yeah. Yep. No, he didn't he didn't learn until like I think it was his first TV movie where he was like, Oh, this is a dolly. Oh, I can use that at this point. Like again, the complete baffling butt fucking luck of being 31 and getting your own movie when all you've done is sync dailies. What that means is you're putting together clips and aligning the audio so that people can see on the day of what you're working with to know if they need to reshoot stuff, if they need to go back, if they have the right angles and whatnot. How did he fall upon a movie? Sean Cunningham. Yeah. Who he he owes his butt fucking life to. And Peter Locke. Yep. That's both both point. the two people basically follow him the rest of his career, helping him out. They just so like, much so that Sean Cunningham actually gave him money to pay his taxes at one point because he was so broke. Yeah, that tells you like so they just kind of just helped him out. They're like, yes, hey, bro, basically. let me just throw you bone here. And yep. also like Sean Cunningham had some dry spells as well, so it seemed like they were kind of they had that sense of camaraderie where they were both just trying to figure shit out. And what is Sean Cunningham's biggest movie? I'm pointing at myself. Come on, what franchise? <laughs> Jake. <laughs> Jason <laughs> Voorhees. That's right. Uh, but he did uh, the Nightmare or oh, Friday the 13th oh, series. Oh. We're talking about Wes Craven, so I had it on the brain. Fuck off, Chad. Friday the 13th series? Okay. And yeah. So it was pretty interesting that they both kind of like have these big, the, big yeah. hits that right. are, you know, part of like the biggest movie branch. So at that point, so his wife, before we get to Last House on the Left, his wife, Bonnie, leaves him. He loses his driver's license because it expires. He loses all of his credit cards. He is literally nothing. Because if you don't have a driver's license, you can't be a cab driver. Yeah, which is what he did for, before that. He was a cab driver for a whole year. Yeah. Okay, so how is he going to uh, luck his way out of this situation? So he works with Sean Cunningham on a film called Together, <laughs> which is advertised as a sex education film, but it is just a porno because it's people demonstrating different positions and i love this a distributor was super excited and bought the rights to the movie because there is a tiny blonde white woman who is having sex with a black guy who has a huge dick and at one point she traces i'm not fucking with you brian she traces a flower along the shaft of his penis and it gets erect and that's a that's marketed as an educational material to try and get around censorship no sean cunningham not the smartest move but he made money and because of that they were able to get things going. There's also a rumor, a prevailing rumor, that Wes Craven worked on Deep Throat, which yep. is a famous pornographic film, which was used in the name for the people who leaked the Watergate. Blah, blah, okay. Blah. You know, the girls from, what was that movie? Ah, the movie where it's like Kirsten Dunst or whatever, who secretly actually did. Dick. Dick. Ah, yeah, that was yeah, a fun yeah, movie. Yeah. <laughs> no people give that enough credit. It's well, I mean, the, the name is really like, people are like, why the fuck would I want to watch a movie called Dick? <laughs> I'd rather watch Dick than Cock and Balls, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Harry Shaft. And so Craven described his relationship with Sean Cunningham as somewhere between a mentor and a friend. I think that's very important when it comes to it because the commercialization, like Wes eventually just kind of gives up and is like, okay, I'm a horror guy. And if you look at Sean, Sean is basically like, I'll be the first to admit, Friday the 13th is basically Sean Cunningham being like, I want that Halloween money. And even that, like you look at John Carpenter, he basically rips off Black Christmas so much so that the original plot for what would have been Black Christmas 2 was going to be the guy from Black Christmas 1 escapes from a mental institution and goes on a killing spree on Halloween. 
And there's another movie that John people are ripping each other off because art is a commodity. Don't fucking kid yourself. Don't be a fucking nitwit. So can we talk about the Chapin brothers? This is yes, weird too. Yeah. And this is also where he learns to edit. Basically. Right. Because one of his students was Steve Chapin. Yep. His older brother, Harry Chapin, who is a musician, a successful musician, yes. but before that was editing dailies. Yes. And so did you know that Steve... Where Steve said, hey, go meet my brother Harry. He'll help you get into the movie biz. Yeah. Exactly. Steve did the music for Last House on the Left and then saw it and was like, don't put my name on that. <laughs> oh, really? His student who's wow. supposed to be like ingratiated and like... Uh, He's uh, like, nah, nah. Do not. Do you believe hard, that? Hard pass. Yeah. I, I can't blame him. Another fun fact, David Hess, who played Krug in the movie, sings on it twice on the soundtrack. Oh. That was like, that. oh. I, you're, I'm still never going to see it. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> Can you listen to the music, maybe? Nope. <laughs> I'm just going to no imagine him at all. slinging dicks around. <laughs> One of the things that Wes Craven said as far as being locked into the horror genre that I think it definitely tempers with age, because he says this as a man who's established himself and produced other horror films and made a career out of it. Filmmaking is so darn expensive, you can understand them hedging their bets. Basically, after Last House on the Left, everything else is going to kind of be there, so much so that like the only way he's able to do other things is by leveraging his horror credentials. We'll get into it. Chad, take it away. Yeah, so it was very interesting for this part of his story because they're kind of just making porno and <laughs> editing porno. <laughs> and Sean Cunningham kind of has, he's working with a, a few theaters that actually want a full-length movie that's not porno, but kind of kind of like horror. Imagine that conversation. Yeah. So, hey, guys, <laughs> I know you're all doing the big porn thing right now, but... Maybe not. Maybe just there could be some sex and some <laughs> some horrific some, stuff. But <laughs> maybe some fun bags. Maybe some boobs. But you right. Know, let's maybe leave the pee out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, funny you mentioned pee. There's a whole lot about urine in the last house on the left. Uh, do you want to you know about that? No. We'll get into it. <laughs> well, anyway, so Sean Cunningham, I think, was busy with filming some other stuff at the time, and he was pretty much like, "Hey, I want you to write and direct this movie." And they got, I think they raised like $50,000 and then it was kind of up to like 9000 And so they pretty much made this movie for 9000 or 90, was it 90000 I think so. Yeah, dollars. In the span of a matter of days that they yes. shot it. And he wrote it in four days. Yeah. But basically, because he's like this well-read artur, he takes the virgin spring and is just like, let's make that a horror movie. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> yes. He, funny enough, died on the 43rd anniversary of the film's release. Interesting enough, we're recording this on the anniversary of his death. Sorry about it. Not to be <laughs> but I did mention on the weekly warm-up that there was a Yoko Ono quote in the movie. Oh, no, you didn't. Was that the first take? No, no, no. Anyway, <laughs> violence is just one of those feelings that come when you're unable to communicate. Art is communication. That the inclusion of that quote changes the entire purpose and perception of that film. If you add that in, you're making a political statement about how violence begets violence and it's cyclical and eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. But what you have here, it's vilified as this grotesque, like just it is amazing to hear people's perspectives because people dig in their heels and you have people who defend it like this changed cinema for the better. And there are people who are like, what the fuck? This is disgusting. Like, there's no point to this. Very interesting. Yeah. But if you look at it now, it's very tame compared to what's out there. Oh, yeah. It's not torture porn. Right. There's torture in it. There's Which, there's a very funny quote about that with Quentin Tarantino. Do you hear on. about that one? 
So Quentin Tarantino then comes out with Reservoir Dogs and says, Oh, with Mr. You Blonde. inspired me with your movie Last House on the Left. And then Wes Craven says he went and watched a screening of it and he left the theater because he was like, I felt like the director was just getting off on the violence where he was like, where I presented it as something just very negative and raw. Specifically in the scene where he's torturing the cop or. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was like, I got up and left because he felt like it was the opposite feeling that Hmm. Wes was kind of trying to push. And his was trying to say it was deplorable. Right. Like I said, without the inclusion of that quote where it's, he's, he's not like the purpose of the film was to show neither side is correct. The, The rapist murderers and the parents who are trying to get vengeance, neither of them are correct. But without that, the film kind of fails and it just seems that he is also ingratiating it. So his perspective as this writer, this artist is, Oh God. Cause he would like straight up have conversations like cocktail parties and stuff. People like, Oh, you're that guy. And just walk away from him. (laughs) And he hated the isolation so much that he was like, I'm never doing horror again. Spoiler alert. He does horror again (laughs) and again and And again again. and again. There were fist fights in theaters. People tried to attack projectionists. There were certain projectionists who actually spliced the movie themselves to edit out stuff because they're like, this isn't bad taste. Yep. I like those guys because they could make a version that I would be able to tolerate. Why couldn't protests? Why couldn't they have just changed it to an NC seventeen or something like that? Well, that's that's a pretty (laughs) funny thing. Yeah, because it does happen. So really there is a lot of stuff that happens where Remember, it was only released in a very select few of theaters. Right, right, right. And the people were like attacking the screenings, trying to shut it off. And he gets a call kind of like, hey, people are attacking your movie and trying to shut it off because it's like so, you know, violent and disgusting. So Wes is like thinking, oh, crap. Well, there goes that. So we're not going to make any more. And they're like, no, we want to make it and spread it all over the U.S. That's salacious. <laughs> new- it's, it's the Herschel Gordon right. Lewis effect where it's just, oh, bad press is great press. Right. This right. is the movie... Just keep repeating to yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. This started that. So they're wanting the bad press. And then as the MPAA comes into effect, he was a great exploiter of it. Just like, you know, there's famous like Toby Hooper would like call while he was doing Texas Chainsaw. I'm like, so what happens? Do I get an NC-17 if I stab a lady with a hook? Right, right, right. He was doing the same (laughs) shit. Did you know John Carpenter, when he did Assault on Precinct 13, when he sent it to the MPAA, it didn't have the scene where the little girl shot to death? <laughs> and then he puts it right back in and distributes it? Because that's how Wild West this shit was. Where he's well, like, oh. that's exactly what happens in this. Exactly. So Wes submits it to get uh, rated, and they give it an X rating. And an they, X rating? Yeah, huh? and so they said, well, you have to take stuff out. And he takes stuff out, sends it back, and it still comes back with an X rating. So he then puts it all back in. And has a friend who works in like the industry that has like a legitimate R rating like thing. And he slaps it in there and it's in there and then they release it. So he pretty much has an interview where he's like, well, I guess it's past the statute of limitations. So we pretty much just lied and said it was rated R. Gray area. (laughs) Yeah. Gray area. And it was bought by Sam Arkoff of American International Pictures for national distribution. So he's made no money at this point. No actor on this film made more than $1,000. How much do you think his first check is for doing this film? <sighs> Can't even fathom. $50,000 of 1970s money. This is your fucking Beverly Hillbillies kind yeah, of thing for his crazy. second. And he still goes fucking broke before he does his next movie. <laughs> to the point where he has to sell his fucking house. Like, didn't they, didn't they remake that film? Yeah, and he actually produced it. Oh, okay. He did that also with The Hills Have Eyes and The Hills Have Eyes 2 when yes. they did those sequels. One thing I really want to note his son, his son John, is the little boy in the movie who the head rapist guy pops his balloon, which that's awful to think. I gave my son a cameo in my rape fetish movie. <laughs> Steve Miner was involved in it and Sean Cunningham were involved. In it. 
Why are they important to me? Chad. Um, I don't know. Because Steve Miner directed Friday the 13th parts 2 and 3, and Sean Cunningham directed part 1. Boosh! Boom! That's Pamela Voorhees. That's Sackhead Jason. That's Hockey Mask Jason. Bye! Freddy's are better. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. <laughs> that's super cute. Tell it to Friday the 13th part 6, Jason Lives. Best movie ever. <laughs> anyway, there's a very deep shame in peeing on yourself. To have someone make you do that, I knew it would be chilling. You are announcing this is about nastiness on a very deep level. That is Wes Craven talking about how he writes the main rapey boy to have the girl pee on herself. And then there's conflicting arguments. The actress claims that she actually peed on herself. And then David Sulkin's book in the making of says that they used a wet sponge to make her look like she peed herself. That being Lucy Grantham. Hmm. Well, the book Do you I want to see this movie now, Brian? You look mm, catatonic. Nope. Absolutely not. <laughs> the book I read said that there were several scenes that the actress was actually terrified in and didn't want to finish the movie. And they actually had to like go and bring her back and kind of convince her to finish the movie. I wonder why she would do that. It's almost like actor David Hess told her that she better <laughs> behave herself during the rape scene. Or, or he's he would... going to rape her. Yep. That's what he said. He said, I'll literally fuck you and they'll watch me do it. He says that to another. That's like, that's not method acting. That is an assault on a person. Yeah, dude. Wild West. They shot without any permits. They were like jumping fences with their stupid handheld cameras and doing all this stuff. This is crazy. And then this guy becomes like a household name. Yep. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, but I mean, listening to that compared to what we have now, like Serbian film. Yeah, but you have Serbian <laughs> film because the, it's interesting. So the the climax of this movie, the doctor or the father is a doctor. So he originally wanted the guy to get revenge on Krug by slicing him up with scalpels. And then Sean Cunningham was like, fuck that. Use a chainsaw. So that's why there's a chainsaw on this. But think about the slicing, how it comes into effect. The little movie you might have heard of. Called Slicey Boy. Sli Slicey? Slicey Boy Jr. Slicey Fingers? Slicey Man McAllister. <laughs> Slicey Dick? Freddy Krueger. Yes, okay. <laughs> so most critics actually Nightmare. tore this movie apart. Hard. Hard. Except, surprisingly, Robert Ebert. Uh, he gave it three and a half stars. He talked about the importance of it as film, and like he's like, yeah. you don't have to like it. Is the important part of it, it being an artistic piece. And this is a guy who had like walked out of Night of the Living Dead. He thought was like revolting and just inexplicable. Whereas this, he was like, oh yeah, three, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so after this, Craven writes a serious script about a father who is divorced and he's a single father. He wrote a comedy about beauty pageants and he wrote a historical drama about a court martial for a guy who reported the war crimes of the American culture or whatever. Yeah. And all of those things are very involved. Like he was going through divorce. He was very counterculture. Super weird. And yes. then he just goes straight into porn right. as Abe Snake. Well, the movie gave him kind of like a a name where people are actually recognizing him in the industry, but they also didn't give him any real directing options. So that's where he goes into like the porn. He's basically like, I still need the money. Yeah, you gotta get paid. <laughs> so yeah, basically his buddy again was like, hey, got and, another porno. And people watch Boom! porn. A yeah. lot of it. Yeah, nineteen. At this time though, porn was in like normal theaters. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit different. It's not like, you know, just like what we see now, there's oversaturated market and everything. Bush everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Buying it and having it was not accessible. If you wanted porn in a film version, you couldn't just click on YouTube or whatever. Exactly. 
or you porn or Pornhub or whatever. So people would go and it's a very interesting history behind it. I think Joe Bob Briggs actually has a very fascinating book on the subject. Uh, so he worked in the industry because it was booming. That's something like it's poo-pooed upon, but think about how prevalent porn is now. It was just as prevalent, well, probably a little bit less, but it was all a transactional business. You get porn right. for free now. You used to have to pay for it each and every time. And especially think about it, if you're a teenager who doesn't want somebody catching you with porn, you go to a theater, there's no evidence. You don't have a receipt. You paid in cash. Just oh, make there's sure evidence. Crime. Just it's all sure over the floor. Stick make it sure though. you don't <laughs> sit in front of... Uh, Pee Wee Herman. Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> the two most famous men to get <laughs> shot in the back of the head. Abe Lincoln and the guy who sat in front of Pee Wee Herman. Such a good joke. So he did uh, The Fireworks Woman, which was incest porn, before going to The Hills Have Eyes, which is about inbred mutant people. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a big... Big reach there. Yeah. <laughs> Hills Have Eyes, 1977, was about the Shauna Bean family, which was uh, the people who lived in caves and murdered travelers and ate them. That's fun. The original title of Based, the movie. Those are actual people? Yep. Yeah. Wow. So most of his movies, I think, that were worth any note were actually based off of like where small stories from? that he found. Do you recall? It's Ireland? Is that where it is? It's somewhere uh, across the pond. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere over there. Interesting. The original title of the film, Blood Relations. Which do you like better? The Hills Have Eyes or Blood Relations? <laughs> I don't feel like when I listen to Blood Relations, I think of a horror film. So it's funny. I think I do. I, maybe it's really? I've seen like Blood Rage and stuff like that. But I, I think of it being a like contrived horror film. The Hills Have Eyes is weird because it sounds like a horror film and not at the same time. Like I can just as easily be like, the hills have eyes with the sun. <laughs> but then it's also <laughs> Mike Berryman with his weird fingers. I love that son of a bitch. <laughs> The <laughs> nicest person ever in every interview I've ever seen. Uh, he also wrote the sequel for The Hills Have Eyes. That's fun. Nice. Chad, take Although, away. I was trampling you. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Keep going. I'm just excited because <laughs> this, is, this is fun. He was not happy with that movie. New. No. <laughs> Nor the sequel. He has so many excuses for both of them. And it's like, dude, you just made a movie. Like, move on. That's most of his movies. Yeah. It's very interesting where most of his movies... Uh, most of his movies... Like, he, he doesn't like them at all well, after he's done? Basically, he never has real power. In the industry. Oh, okay. So he's like, he he does get known to be like a really big director, yet he never seems to ever grasp real power to be like, no, my creative vision only, and I'm going to go through with it. It's always the studios going, no, right. and taking so he back. he has this great idea, and then he just gets steamrolled. Right. So basically, he does a movie much later where the serpent, what is it? Serpent in the Rainbow. Serpent in the Rainbow. And the yeah, he studio, wants to make a voodoo movie. He wants to make like a voodoo movie, but not like a horror movie. And the studio was like, eh, we need some horror scenes in there because we tested it and your fans want more horror and other people just don't even know what it is. And yeah. So they're like, no, go film like six new horror shots and put them in the movie. He was also very like, in his own head. Oh, like, okay. So, but here, here's the <laughs> dilemma though. Do you want to go back to being a struggling director and or taking whatever film you can make, uh, porn, what have you, or do you fucking bend over a little bit and get paid because the studio says this is what you want to make. He doesn't give up on that until after the uh, until after 1999 where the movie he did for Miramax about the violin playing bullshit fails. And then he's right. like, I'm just going to do horror. A lot of people try and misconstrue it and say that Shocker is where he gives up and is just a horror guy. Not true. Right. He still very avidly pursues trying to be out of the genre and then he's like, okay, fine. But and I think he accepts that he's going to still have to make a lot of horror movies yep. in Shocker. It's so Shocker's where he's like, okay, I will make these movies, but I'm going to try to escape a little. And then he still gets shut down. 
But if you look at somebody like Quentin Tarantino, he's only made movies that he wanted to make and how he wanted to make them. So it's a little bit different where Wes was always trying to like move out and then even the horror movies he makes, make them his way only. But he was always kind of like stopped. Producers were like, no. And director or, you know, the big heads were like, ah, no. He was only beholden to them because he had no money of his own and no clout. Right, he, everybody right. everybody right. talks about how nice and soft spoken he was. He was never the type of dude to like draw a line in the sand. Like, this is what's happening. It's he like would Jake never walking that. over somebody that's very soft spoken because he's always so like, <laughs> ah, yeah, ah. just trying to help out. <laughs> just doing you a favor. This no, is just supposed to be going. Chad does everything. And Jake read a book and watched a documentary. You're welcome. I know. I know. I did read a book or sorry. I listened to a book. So he also used the same set designer on the Hills Have Eyes, Robert Burns, as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So you might notice some similarities there. The last film that he had an editing credit on. Hmm. There you go. Because he was nice. fucking broke. Yes, he was. What was his next <laughs> film? His next film is Stranger in the house, in Our House. The and made for TV one, right? Yes. He has a surprising amount of TV credits, which I never even realized. Right. And I wasn't going to even include this because we kind of discussed like not even touching on the TV stuff. But this directing credit was actually what got him into the Directors Guild of America. Right. Oh, nice. So it was like a big, you know, score for him in this aspect. When it comes to doing movies and stuff that goes straight to TV, I'm assuming you make more money off movies, or is that not the case? In his experience, it's going to make a lot more off of TV because of a, almost a guaranteed audience. Okay. TV had very limited choices back then. Yep. So That's this true. was That's very, true. like, if you're on TV, you're for everyone. Right. You're getting so, 50 million so right now, nowadays, where everybody has limitless options made for TV specifically on one channel or this or that, you're fucked. Basically. Right? Yeah. You're just holding on to A&E gave me this much money and right. then that's it. But Unless at the same time... like to a super subset demographic like the Hallmark channel or something. Right. Okay. right. But at the same time, nowadays, <clears throat> if you do something that didn't do that great in like the theater, you have like Netflix where everyone that's will true. watch it. Demand, yeah. that's or, true. you know, Netflix is just pumping out so much money. Same thing with Amazon that they're yeah. like, hey, will give you pretty much the same as making a movie. And yeah, it's, it's going to be mean, seen shit. by much more people. <laughs> Half the stuff on Netflix is like Netflix originals now. Right. And they're all great. Well, and there's also well, people who well, basically will kidding. sell something to Netflix just to are. not have operated at a loss. So even if they make their money back, they now have something in their portfolio to build their career and le you know right, leverage right. into their next actual gig. Right. And so when he's doing this, the TV movie, he also has... This is where he learns to use the dolly like we talked about. This is where he's basically saying, oh, this is actually upscale professional. Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Crazy. he gets recognition for it because this is like the where he could actually work in the industry, not kind of on the outside of just shitty horror. He which has is, resources. Exactly. And he's not beholden to a guy who like a scummy producer because this is TV. All producers are scummy. Well, at that time, you're talking about <laughs> these shady guys who are very specific. Like, I want this. You're making me this product versus this situation. Like, oh, here, take our tools and you use it like a sandbox and build your own you know, thing. Right, right, right. But you're also looking at somebody who made horrific horror. And now that he's doing TV, he's very limited to what yeah. he could do. So a lot of his TV stuff does not get a great yeah. response. Yeah, so you're like, saying yeah. the TV made-for-TV movie is what got him into the Directors Guild? Yep. Yes. And he just learned how to use a dolly. Yep. yep. 
So you get all these like well-known directors that look over at him like this fucking guy. <laughs> look at this Who's guy. This huh? guy? <laughs> Basically, he makes a big splash and people think that it's a very deliberate artistic choice and they realize that he's just kind of faking it. <laughs> fake, of it fake it to make it. Yep. Well, then, he, here's a great example. The next movie he does is The, uh, the Deadly Blessing. This is Sharon Stone's first speaking role, and he basically takes it up the poop chute to make everybody happy, and nobody's happy, and the movie kind of flops. Right. <laughs> There's a very famous situation where Sharon Stone's supposed to get a spider in her mouth. She's arachnophobic. He's arachnophobic. He's like, here, look, I'll hold the spider, and you'll see. She insists on them defanging the spider so that she can put it and not worry about getting bit, and they're like, the spider's going to starve to death if you do this, and she's like, I don't care. And so he like just does what she says, which I get. It's just a spider, but that just shows like he doesn't have any kind of pull, wow. even over a girl whose first acting speaking role is this. The only thing she'd done is be a pretty girl on a subway before that. And then one thing that's very interesting, the snake in the bathtub. Do you remember this? Yes. He does a snake in the bathtub. And this movie fucking flops. Wait, he does a snake He's in like, a bathtub. Uh, take it, take it. <laughs> but there's a scene where there's Ape a snake, snake in the bathtub. And because this movie's garbage, he just does the same bit again in Freddy. Stabby McKnife fingers. Really? Yep. Basically, the snake goes in the tub and it like comes oh, up through right. her legs right. and it's like going toward her. And then Freddy uses his claws to do the same thing. Like, oh, oh gonna da finger dum. you. Um. Sorry. So, yeah, right before that, the next movie released was Swamp Bay. Deadly Blessings. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, like you were saying? Yeah. Right, right. But, Swamp Bay. No, but no, he, no, was, no. Uh, <laughs> he was signed on to do Swamp Thing first, I believe. Yeah. And he was basically bouncing back and forth between these two roles. Which is crazy when you think about the kind of production you would need to do Swamp Thing correctly. And he's just like, oh, we'll figure it out. Yes. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. But right before he even like attaches a Swamp Thing. <laughs> Well, basically, <laughs> you can tell it's a no-budget thing because if he actually had a budget, the producers would be like, the fuck you are making another movie? Get into pre-production now. Versus right. this, he's just like, whatever. Yeah. Well, he talks about the producers for Swamp Thing promised a budget that he was like, they had no clue how to stick to that budget. Oh, yeah. There's like three times what he actually had to work exactly. with. Exactly. But he's accepting any work he can at this point because you got to remember, this is a dude who was poor as fuck a year ago. Yeah. He had right. a dry spell in this part. And after, after making his, like 50 grand or something, right? Yeah. 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 But so he got a lot of credit for making the strangers in our house, but he was attached to several like things like we kind of talked about. He was supposed to write and direct Rambo. He's supposed Failed. to direct uh, Beetlejuice. Failed. Yeah. So basically he had like these big titles that he was supposed Superman to do. Superman 4. Yeah. Superman 4. Which I, I don't think enough people give credit. So he's supposed to do Superman 4. Christopher Reeve is like, the fuck you will. You will never direct one of my movies ever. Because <laughs> yeah, they meet and he's like, nope. At all. <laughs> Christopher Reeve was a legitimate actor who's very unfortunate that he got typecast because the dude had some serious credentials. And so he still considered himself to be a serious actor and was like, oh, you did The Last Hell on the Left. The f like, no, you can never attach yourself to truth, justice in the American way. That then, sucks that you do one film that's just so bad that everybody hates and they just go back to that. They're like, I don't fucking care about anything else. It's also yeah. so weird that the people behind the scenes are like, oh, we'll just put it together. We'll just put you on Superman, which I, they clearly didn't know their demographic. But the same DC Comics imprint, he goes and it goes literally to the swamp, the dregs, and it's like, <laughs> I'm going to make Swamp Thing. He writes it and directs it. So I think there's some kind of beautiful poetry there. Yeah, I can see that. But again, 
it's a movie that he says, hey, this isn't what I put out. Because <laughs> they kind of tear the movie apart. They were always on budget saying like, you need to finish right now. Get off. Send the actors home because we're done filming for the day because it's costing too much. So he had a lot of like backlash from this movie that made him suffer. <laughs> and another thing, you could tell pre-production fails because they didn't even take into effect the botanic acid that ate through the Swamp Thing costume. Brian, if I asked you how a professional movie studio fixed a Swamp Thing costume, what product would you say they used? Super glue. Super close. Elmer's glue. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. That's how they're just like winging it. I was going to say maybe duct tape, but no. Duct tape. Woo. Yes. (laughs) But they even talked about alligators literally being like right next to the actor. And they're just like, keep rolling. (laughs) No, I'm pretty sure it's just a log. Uh, It blinked at me. No, it's just a log. Action. I want to see the true fear in your eyes right now. (laughs) Are you afraid for your life? Good. Let's use that. (laughs) In this movie that it actually had a modicum of success. It could mean there was a sequel and there was a TV show that kind of come out of this one thing. So, so after deadly blessing and swamp thing, Mm. this is where we start getting Wes really thinking about our favorite dream boy. (laughs) So dreamy. Freddie. So he fingered. Yeah. (laughs) Daddy, would you like some sausage? He starts writing it and kind of writes it all out. And then he's like, Hey, everybody, I have this movie. And everyone's like, he thinks it's fucking brilliant. Right. And everyone's like, no, pass. No, no. Literally every fucking studio is like, (laughs) don't care at all. Yeah. Do you think they actually read the script or they just went off of his past movies and they're like, ah, fuck that. I'm going to read two lines and be like, nope, pass. Here's a problem that I have. I don't think people give Robert England the credit he deserves. He is awesome in his capacity as Freddy Krueger. Like, he even talks about like Wes Craven allowing him the room to improvise quite a bit, right? Which uh, like he even acknowledges other lesser directors later on let him go too far without reining him in. So some of the installments in the series are kind of shitty. Nice. And the so, first one's amazing though. Yeah, I love no, it. I actually had a had a drink with Robert England. What? What? Yeah. And this is yeah. the first we're hearing about ah, it. That's funny, right? Yeah, we were getting tattooed in Vegas at a convention that Heather does, Wizard Con, mm-hmm. Wizard World yeah. Con or something like that. And they have, you know, all kinds of actors and, uh, you know, on screen do signings or what have you. And we were all hanging out at the bar next to the Vegas convention and sure as shit, Robert England comes over and starts drinking beers with uh, all the guys from the Tattoo Crew. So it was fucking cool. Where's the photo proof? Yeah. Huh? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think England charges $130 for a photograph at this point. Dang. Yeah, he could. Definitely. That's Can thing. you imagine though how many people have his face on their body. Oh, for sure. That's so crazy. Yeah. I think it's awesome in its own weird way. And that's one of the things that makes A New Nightmare so interesting is the fact that they talk about like basically Freddy having a life of its own and like the evil. It's an interesting movie. And I think that's, again, this is where Wes Craven returns to the franchise. And then you have Robert England in rare form because he gets that like kind of perfect, I can play around, but I'm also in these parameters. So Wes finally finds someone to buy the the script. script. Bob Shea, New Line Cinema. But guess what? He doesn't have any money. (laughs) So he's like, yeah, this is great. I want to make it. Let's make it. But we need to make money. (laughs) Three years later. So, yeah. So this is another Wes Craven dry spell where he's like, I need money. I'm not working. 
I don't know what to do. What does he do in between? Sells his fucking house and asks Sean Cunningham for a loan. Yep. And then so, this is how we get our famous sequel. Then he says, hey, I guess I will make the hills have eyes too. <laughs> oh, yeah, it makes sense. Because I need money. Got to get paid. Yep. He never liked the production. He was promised reshoots that he never got. They just slopped it on and put it out. And, and he was single at this point. Like he hadn't gotten a second marriage or something like that. Mm-hmm. I actually think this, this is second marriage. Yeah, this is, this a, is I think he's marriage. into a second marriage. Yeah. Okay. The only other interesting note really in this is he produced the remake. But other than that, I mean, this movie kind of falls into obscurity. It's not right. Great. It flops. He hates it. It doesn't flop. It actually made its money back. But <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, it's basically... All the, of his movies that were considered flops actually made their money back and more, but they weren't enough to like branch off to do a ton of stuff. Right, right. So you're not talking smashes. like in longevity terms. It right. eventually made its money, but if you're talking like no, no. I'm broke now. Made like, its money back. In theaters. And, oh, in wow. theaters. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah, yeah. But you gotta just, remember at this point there was no home video there, market. There right. just wasn't enough to recoup right. him being flat broke. Right. So like when they do Shocker, I think. That's later on too. He makes 89. Shocker. And it makes like three times its money back or something. But they were like, it's not enough to actually make a whole brand is it, out of. Is it this? Yeah. You it's do. basically this. It's on, just a guy running Fred- around going, ah, <laughs> ah. Yeah, with Freddy's glove on. <laughs> but it's Freddy's glove on I the like other how, hand. I like how Chad was doing this. Ha, ha. <laughs> no, that's not the shocker. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just put wherever it is. And, Hold on. So, yeah. Then moving forward, this kind of gives him uh, enough time to make the money for a nightmare on Elm Street. Basically, he's holding over. Right, right. So, yeah. Originally, he wanted Freddy Krueger to be like a giant, big lumberjack type dude. And Robert England was kind of brought in as like a one-off. Like the casting director was like, oh, here's just a fun thing. Mm -hmm. Instantly. They're like, got it. And That's cool. England talks about that he's a very verbose guy, kind of like Jake who's trampling all over Chad. Sorry about it. And (laughs) he just sat and listened to how passionate Wes was about the project. And was like, oh, this is great. And that's what starts their whole relationship. And I mean, basically gives England a career. Like England had been in stuff before this, but like right, this is right, him. Right. Yeah, nothing real mainstream or anything. Yeah. Which is crazy to think that even with the, all that makeup and prosthesis on, that it's still his face. It's still him. Oh. So much so he's typecast. He never yeah. really does anything outside of horror of substance after that. His face without the makeup, he's still a weird looking dude. And now we yeah. have Rick and Morty spinoffs with Scary Terry. I'm not a bitch, 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 bitch. <laughs> you can run, but you can't hide, bitch. I can see him as a big, like, lumberjack type of scary person as well, but you wouldn't get, like, the I just, comedy I don't later. know. I, when I think of big, scary lumberjack with knives coming out of his hands, I think of Wolverine. <laughs> Wolverine is actually only, like, 5'4". Super short. Stocky. <laughs> but he's also stocky as shit. Yeah. Here's my thing. I think that Freddy Krueger is perfect in the sense that you know I understand what they did by casting the dude who played Rorschach in the remake, having a small sinewy guy because he doesn't need to be physically no. imposing no. because he right. attacks your dreams. Exactly. You don't exactly. need physicality because you can be whatever the fuck you want to be in the dream. Anybody right. who's played D&D knows this. If you have magic, you don't need bulk. <laughs> Leave it to the barbarians. That's not what she said. <laughs> Girthy. <laughs> Chad, so, why why you give Freddy Krueger a slicey blade hand? I don't know. Sloth bears. <laughs> he was talking about like the primal fear yeah. that people have, and he took it back to like cavemen, and he was like, oh, what are they afraid of? They're afraid of animals. What's scary about an animal? And he watched a documentary about sloth bears and how they like, <laughs> cr- 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 <laughs> seriously, and that's what started it. 
I, so, as so, a kid, I thought that it was like some kind of gardening utensil. I'm like, naturally, like, you know, you have your chainsaws, your machetes, and then they just made this thing up. And I felt like a dumbass kid. <laughs> yeah. And the development of the actual look of Freddy was kind of interesting because it was a encounter he had with a strange man. Basically, a strange man was outside his house and was like looking at him through the window and he like ran to get his brother and the guy like came into the house or apartment or whatever and he kind of had like the hat and skinny and the cat and the sweater yeah and he had a cat with him or something no, no sweater no sweater no the sweater. sweater is a deliberate choice because psychosomatically mixing that hue of green and that shade of red are like disjointed it's basically okay. disgusting when you look at right. it right so it's like which is christmas McDonald's, for right. instance is a red and yellow it's pleasing to make you hungry right. yeah. yeah okay yeah he he says that he wanted that those colors so that any shape that he took inside the house he you would kind of know that it's him yeah. right it would be completely contrast to right. virtually anything right Okay. But anyway, yeah, so his brother went and got a bat and chased this guy off and then they never saw him again. And that's kind of like what stuck in his head when he then developed Freddy. So when you think about that scene where he's silhouetted and he's got the hat and his arms stretch out, that's all his childhood. It yeah. kind of reminds me of Home Alone 1 with the neighbor, the creepy neighbor. Yeah. 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 The shovel man. Yeah. Shovel man. Yeah. And then part two is the bird lady. Yeah. Who do you like better? Shovel man or bird lady? Oh, Shovel, Shovel Man. Man all the way. For sure, Shovel yeah. Man. I want Definitely. an origin story of him. <laughs> yeah. Bruce Willis can play him. He's <laughs> got about as much hair. So in the jail where they shot the boiler room, it was later condemned due to asbestos. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Here's some referential humor, if I may tread upon thee. Please. Nancy watches The Evil Dead by Sam Raimi to stay awake. Craven added that as a nod to Raimi. Because Raimi had a nod to Craven it, with the Hills Have Eyes in a scene in The Evil Dead. And then they used the Freddy's Knife Club in a scene in the Tool Shed in Evil Dead 2. They were both in the same segment in what movie that we reviewed on this fucking show? Footloose. <laughs> Put on For some reason, I was thinking we we're going to involve Kevin Bacon in all of this. But <laughs> Body bags. Booty boogs. That's correct. And then the doctor who tries to cure Nancy. Charles Fleischer. What was he famous for? Please! But fucking Jessica Rabbit. He was Roger really? Rabbit. Yep. Wow. Raw dog. <laughs> Raw rabbit. <laughs> he cast Johnny Depp in the film because he took screenshots. And I'm glad because he dies. Yeah. Spoiler. He dies. In a torrent of blood. <laughs> so basically, the guy who was playing the coroner was like, hey, I got a friend who's in this bullshit band. Let's put him in the movie. And Wes is like, I'll try him out. And he takes headshots of him and two other guys home and shows them to his daughter. Who should I put in this movie? And he thought that Depp was not cute. Pale, dark features just didn't look right. And his daughter's like, he's beautiful. And that's how <laughs> it's he got like cast. an angel. <laughs> yeah, literally, quote, beautiful. Was that his first role? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Like he was a musician before that. Yeah. That's crazy. And then from this, 21 Jump Street, and the, you know. All based off of Craven's daughter. Depp yeah. fucking owes everything to that girl. To her. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't like Johnny Depp anymore. Nope. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yep. Well, girlfriend beater. Just a turd. <laughs> Basically plays Jack Sparrow. In Every real time life. we go to Disneyland now, it's pretty funny because Jack Sparrow is around now. They like brought him back. And there was a nice spell there for like two does, years. Does he, he walk around well, drunk around a bunch yes. of kids? Yeah, that's pretty much is the whole like whole act. <laughs> it's the stupid, like, okay, this is what drives me crazy about uh, we're gonna derail here. Jack Sparrow in the first one is a pirate. In everything else, he's a fucking clown. And that's the doofus who walks around Disneyland. 
be a pirate. Yeah. That's a good way of distancing it. But I'm But on. to be fair, you can't really be a pirate, a true pirate at Disneyland. Well, oh, yeah. cuz you're like, where are the whores at? <laughs> right when the movie came out, <laughs> I heard that pretty much women were just like kind of like overtaking him in the park. Oh, so they kind of okay. took him out like he was too popular and now when he comes out there's like three people. I'm like, ah, "Hey, hey, what's up?" <laughs> and that's it. Soured. Right. So do you have any more on Freddy? Of course I have more on Freddy. Are you fucking then why kidding are you me? Texting he during, was sued uh, no, just over <laughs> plagiarism. Yes. You take that. You were all excited about it. Yes. So there was a Indian gentleman, as Wes refers to him. <laughs> he says that he was being sued for character or for stealing his movie idea. And his movie idea was nothing like Nightmare on Elm Street. Really? It was about a house with a family living in it. And they were like, I don't know, renting a room or something. Is the room And haunted? there was like a secret passage underneath the house where there was like a a snake d- demon thing. <laughs> it's very strange. And Wes, Wes was like, I kept being hounded by this guy because he would go from like lawyer to lawyer to lawyer to try and just yeah, get and money out of like, him. No, 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 no. They were actually like trying to do really? it because he had a deal that he would only pay them if they won money. So they were like, okay, we'll file for you. And so he just kept like filing. This is Wes's problem. He didn't have a, what's called an errors and omissions like phrase. And you know, at the end of the credits, like any likeness unto any right, other. Right, right, right. So basically. He didn't have that. But there was zero likeness. So what Wes, is alike? Wes finally confronts the guy and he's like, what is it that you, that makes our movies the same? And he was like, well, they're both about horror. And that's it. <laughs> yep. What? And what's funny is Wes then goes to the people that produced the movie. And said, no, like, we should definitely have this, like, clause in there. They kind of were like, okay, whatever. And they both pitch in to, like, pay the guy off. Well, they say that they found one. They found one, yeah. Which is very suspicious, but then they pay right, him off. Right, it's basically anyway. settled out of court. But right. that's every time they're after. shut up. And yeah. Right. But every time after that, they had that policy. But he still gets it. Like, crazy. Yeah. But Wes it's also like talks about this is one of the worst times of his life. Because oh, yeah. this is happening. Second divorce. Second divorce because he found out his wife was oh, cheating on him. He's on a roll. Right. And so it was just a very awkward thing. And I think this is also where a lot of his movies that he was supposed to be attached on kind of fell through. Beatles so he was, specifically, yeah. he was just hoping to get something out of this time and period because it was very bad. And what's interesting, one of the reasons he gets pulled off Beetlejuice, they thought that he couldn't do comedy. Right. And then he goes fucking nuts. Right. Can we talk about Deadly Friend now? Yeah. Fucking nuts. <laughs> he was supposed to make this like preteen fun movie. And then there's one dream sequence and like, no, lean into it. Lean into it really hard because you, you're the Nightmare on Elm Street guy. So then they just turn it into a weird fucking movie where Christy Swanson throws a basketball at a lady's head and it blows up and she stumbles <laughs> around without a head. That's Deadly Friend. But he blames his life. Sir. Everything has a fucking excuse with this guy. Yes. But this is like the one time where I'm like, okay, you're being sued for hundreds of thousands of dollars. You find out your lady's getting dick slung into her from another dude. Okay, fine. <laughs> this one is fine. And also you, there's like documented ev- evidence of the producers being like, pulling him in every direction well so we'll give him a pass kind of yeah that also kind of applies to serpent and the rainbow but at a certain point i'm like you kind of brought this on yourself you wanted to make an like a movie with literally no audience so they're kind of desperately after the fact trying to find an audience and they just kind of flounder right yeah yeah that's definitely serpent and the rainbow for sure yes there's one part where an actress pushes a needle through a dude's cheek because it's part of the voodoo ritual and she thought there was going to be like a special effect and she literally just pushes a needle through a guy's cheek. <laughs> Fun. Nice. But he talked about the producers wanted different things. And he says that that was a, quote, 
diffusion of purpose, which I thought was a very nice way of saying the Hollywood system kind of ate it up and shit it out. Yes. Too many hands in the pot. Cooks in the kitchen. Yep. And a silver spoon. Little boy blue in the... (laughs) (laughs) Take a shot. Do you want to talk about Shocker? Stinky pink fingers. And to go to Shocker, we have to kind of backtrack to Freddy because we didn't really talk about how he got screwed out of money. He pretty much said, I need money right now. So here's my character. Here's my script. He just gave up his rights to all that. I'll sell everything to you for like $400,000. So because he waited so long to make the movie, he lived off of his entire savings yep. and became destitute again. <laughs> and then has, just wants the short term cash and then loses everything. And so, so I he think, sold it all for 400 grand. Yep. He ends up getting some back later. That's one of the reasons that like but part of his like deal for a later. new nightmare. Right. But you're talking what year? So you're dealing with 1984 and he doesn't do a new nightmare until 1994. So 10 years, 10 years. he goes. Wow. Right. Well, he had uh, didn't he have input on three, though? He had input, but he didn't. He didn't get ownership. Exactly, shared. he didn't he get was ownership like of council. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So part two came out, and you know they're sucks, but they're all making like way more money, and he has zero attachment right. to this, and he's like, "What the hell?" And so he was like, "I'll make Shocker. I'll make someone who can compete with Freddy, and it will be mine." And <laughs> yeah, have you ever seen it? No. Exactly. <laughs> Shocker is the movie where the man is electrocuted. And travels through the electricity and grabs people and kills them like almost a dream. <laughs> yeah. It's that stupid. Or the ring, because he can go through TVs and he could take over people's bodies. It's very strange. Yeah. It's very amorphous and it's desperate. And he's like trying to make him funny, which right. is the thing. In his version, the reason that Freddie is funny is because of Robert England. This actor is many things. Robert England, he is not. <laughs> but also, like, he was creating it to be a franchisable character. F- Freddy Krueger was not made to be a franchisable character. And it In just fact, happened. Cr- right. Like, right. Craven and England talk about this a lot. He was a fucking child molesting murderer. Yeah. They h- try to hide it in the movie and just say that he was a, you know, child, child killer. killer. He was a rapist. But they change it and in the phrasing of it, everything, because they want, they knew. This is a marketable character. This right, is a right. Thing. We hit gold. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that you should touch on. Yeah. Anything else so, to talk about the Shocker? Well, Shocker, like I said, is one of those movies where people think it's a flop, but it actually made back, like, I think three times its money. Yeah. And it just wasn't enough to franchise it. So they were like, ah, you know, not enough there to actually do another. And the perception of it was like, oh, this is trite and contrived. You're just trying to do the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. It was Diet Freddy. Right. For sure. Then we go to People Under the Stairs. Yes. Please take this one. I took like no notes of it. No, because Brian said that he liked it. Brian liked it. And we were like, yeah, we're out. Just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, I just remember watching as a kid on TNT and oddly enough, having a guy run around in a gimp suit with a shotgun trying to kill kids, right? A poor little, uh, a little kid who they, I don't know if they adopted him. I forget, but something along the lines of he comes into the house and finds out that there's a kid who like, crawls through the cupboards and stuff and i thought that was kind of cool like i did Eddie that monster i did that <laughs> like i'd like go underneath the sink and crawl through and shit and it wasn't good it wasn't a good movie i always thought that a gimp suit would be a very fun superhero costume but if you took a gimp suit but you just like made it bright colors <laughs> wouldn't that be kind of silly like imagine like your your red yellow and blue primary color superman colors on a gimp suit okay 
Nobody? No, maybe. I'm gonna. That's that's my <laughs> Stephen King one dollar baby. You know that hey, is. Stephen don't King. give them our ideas. <laughs> By the time I found that link, it had like twenty two thousand upvotes. So Stephen King has a thing where it's like, oh yeah, I'll sell you the rights to one of my shitty stories for a dollar. Your boys are gonna send them a pitch. <laughs> so if you like our horrible green screens, <laughs> woo, get maybe ready for we'll a make movie. one. <laughs> hey, speaking of which, uh, did, how was the Spider-Man or Spy? No, the Arachnophobia. <laughs> how is that? Was that well? It's uh, well received. <laughs> I had like people reach out and say it's hilarious. It's just funny because Chad <laughs> was super in his own head. Several is conversations so against it. I was like. It- well, I put it together and I was like, it doesn't make any sense. God damn it. It That's doesn't why have to. It works. <laughs> and I was like, whatever. It's so weird. Did, hey, did and we I had to make up half of it. Like, did, did I put the sound to, in there. Did uh, throw my sound in in the very beginning? Did yeah. we make yes, that work? Yes, oh, I had to re- nice, yeah, nice. redo that. Welcome to Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> so then 1994 rolls around and the decade of destruction and Wes Craven comes back for Wes Craven's new nightmare. Fucking awesome premise. And honestly, you wonder if it influenced Scream at all with its referential humor and like kind of flipping the genre on its head. Right. It's pretty basic. Do you want to hit on it? It's just the idea of Freddy becomes an entity unto itself in the real world. And Wes Craven plays himself. Robert England plays himself. So on and so forth. Fun movie. One of the stronger installments in the series, in my opinion. But right. I think some people don't like it. I I like it as film history more than as a movie, I think. Yeah. I think I like it. I think I like like one, three, and then this one. And then Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, I actually like Freddy versus oh, Jason. I defend it. People are fucking annoying. It's it's hilarious. <laughs> People will find something to pick apart. It's, any, right. Anything. It's easily like one of the best endings I've ever seen. Right. For a movie. Like, like as a guy who's read so many comics where the two characters you like start fighting because there's a misunderstanding, but then they become friends at the end and team up to fight the bad guy. Here's a movie where the two guys fight and it has a positive resolution that's fun, but without either side losing, that's a really good way of doing it. Right, and they can like keep going if they wanted or whatever, but it didn't do well enough for that. So. Yeah, no, not <laughs> at all. Then 1995. Vampire in Brooklyn, which this is kind of funny because... This is producers butt-fucking them all over again. Yeah, exactly. Raw dog. So Eddie Murphy kind of had a flop or two, which I think was Beverly Hills 3. One and two were really great, and then three kind of went... Like Bronson Pinchot couldn't even bring it back. Right. And so then he, I think he had another flop in between there too. So he kind of wanted to like revamp himself. Was it Metro? No, Metro's no, like 97. That's, I think, yeah. yeah, that's I think later. Also a flop. Yeah. <laughs> so he kind of wanted to like reinvent himself and he wanted to do this movie. And there were already two scripts, I think, that were written for it. And then Wes Craven gets involved. They rewrite it for the third time and they're like, yeah, let's go to make it. And then again, this is where the bigs and the producers start Everybody putting their fingers in. Dicks in the pies. They make him ham up the cu- <laughs> the humor of it all. Right. And then it's the other characters that they make humorous and it doesn't really work. And then it, Wes Craven, it seems like Eddie Murphy was very distracted because he was just so famous that he would take the prosthetic makeup that he had on and like walk off set and just disappear for hours where he would just like go in public and not be recognized the and then fuck? come back. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a pretty dark time of his life. Yeah. Well, Eddie Murphy said he wanted to have... He said he did want to have comedy in it to kind of lighten it up, but he didn't want it coming from him because yep. he was supposed to be dark and sexy and all that. Oh, uh, okay. And then the producers are like, no, you're the main character. You should have the comedy. And so you already have this tug of war right there off the bat where you're like, where's it coming man. from? <laughs> yeah. I feel like I feel like with a lot of his movies, I would think it's kind of similar to him playing the game Telephone. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, okay, so this is the story. Now I'm going to whisper it to you. And then they're and the producer's go, like, what 
Eddie Murphy's the funniest <laughs> butt fucker alive. <laughs> and this is the end of the story. This is what it was, right? And then he's like, no, that has nothing to do with anything that I said whatsoever. And they're like, no, no, that's it. Interesting with Eddie Murphy was still incredibly famous even after some flops. He pitched the idea of Wes Craven because he loved The Hills Have Eyes. Can you imagine? That's such a weird combination of things. <laughs> yeah. The well, guy in the I red mean, leather suit who's talking about, I got my ice cream. <laughs> my hills have ice cream. <laughs> I can retire now. Yep. It's perfect. Just so you know, when I'm editing the audio, these guys laughed hilariously. They just <laughs> were pointed away from the microphone <laughs> so you can hear it. <laughs> uh, so, so Chad, then we what's get the into, next little ditty of a it's, movie? It's a very small movie. I don't even think anyone's really seen it. Um, it's a uh, scream. I think. I think it's called Stab. Stabby, yeah. Stab is the movie in Scream about Scream. <laughs> <laughs> oh so man, very good. What's up? <laughs> you <knew it> was- <laughs> <laughs> Chilling, killing. <laughs> so originally the film is called Scary Movie. Woo! We had this whole conversation. It's quite interesting. Yeah. So it was Scary Movie. This becomes Scream. The scary movie was going to be called Shriek, and then they Shriek make scary movie, made. Yeah. and then Shriek gets made. Exactly. It was yeah. It was originally going to be Shriek. Scary movie becomes scary movie, and then Shriek is another movie that's separate and apart. Yeah. So so cluster fucky. But a lot of people think that Wes wrote this. Wes did not write. He did this. not. This he is actually not refused this movie twice. Kevin Williamson. And here's another fun thing: people always want to pit Scream against. I know what you did last summer, right? You've heard that argument before. Yeah. yeah. It's the same fucking guy. Yeah. Same guy. Also did the faculty. That whole era is just this one guy. And it shows how poorly it ages <laughs> when you get to his later team up with Wes Craven <laughs> and all of his TV work. But anyway, Kevin Williams, it was super hot at the time. Yeah. There was a battle for his script. So hot right now. Every, yeah, everyone was like, I want it. I want it. And yeah, basically, who won? Weinstein's Miramax. Mm. They bought it. Weinstein's. One of the things, <laughs> Wes Craven's assistant wanted him to make a bid on it, so she gives it to him to read over a weekend. And he talks about that you know getting hooked in the first 10 pages. And he talks about how that's a very important thing to do. Otherwise, he would just move the script. And he thought that it was compelling with the scene right. with Drew Barrymore, who was she was supposed to be the star of the entire fucking movie, but he just wanted to be away from the genre. So it checked yeah. all of his boxes, but didn't do anything with it. So Miramax buys it, and they knew he had expressed interest, so they go, hey, you want to direct this? And he goes, I'm an artiste, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, he said, Regrets he, was, that one, huh? he said he was interested in the book. I mean, in the script. But it was, yeah, it was just too close to like a major slasher like he did in the past and he was like i don't want to do that and go all the way back to just the raw like violence part well especially because it's so referential he his last biggest success before this was new nightmare which was very referential to the genre in itself right right, Right. right. and so at this point he was doing something much greater or grander which was a proposed version of the haunting for miramax that fell through and so then another do you believe this fucking story that some kid comes up to him he claims that he's doing an autograph signing and some kid comes up to him and is like when do you get back to your real shit like the last house on the left like you're such a fucking pussy now basically is what he said and so he's like okay well i guess i'm just gonna do this movie because some kid at an autograph signing said something 
I don't believe it. I don't believe it at all. <laughs> Here's how little he gives a fuck what people think. His wife is begging him to get a job, and he's like, I'm going to sleep on a hippie's couch in New York. With two kids. Weirdo. Oh. Do you know the lore about the mask? No. Super interesting. So they had been trying to find a mask. In the script, it talks about just a ghost mask, uh-huh. right? They don't talk about the costume at all. So he's very insistent on making a costume that hides the whole body, all of the physiques. So you could have multiple possible suspects. Every man wears black shoes. They're roughly the same height. Very, very deliberate. So even Dewey could feasibly be a suspect, even though our boy David Arkin, who follows us on Instagram and was in the, the star of Ready <laughs> we to love Rumble. You. We love you, David. If you ever want to sit on my fa- I mean, be a guest Woo! on the show, just let me know. Ooh. But he was supposed to be Billy. Little belly boy. Oh. And then he was like, uh, I'd actually would like to read for Dewey. And Wes was like, that's weird. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, best choice. Yeah, super good. You only make good choices. So yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So they're scouting Come on, homes. even he'll laugh at that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> they're scouting homes in Santa Rosa and they're looking and there's this old woman's house who's literally a grandma. And he Wes looks on the bed and sees this ghost mask. So he picks it up and he asks the lady if they could use it. And she says, sure. They can't find who the fuck made this ghost mask. <laughs> They're looking for months. It's not working. They're, they start designing their own mask. Miramax is like, just use your own mask. We don't have the rights to it. We can't do it. Just use it. Wes is so insistent on this ghost mask specifically that even on the first day of filming, he still used that type of mask, even without the consent of the filmmakers. Oh, wow. And then, like, the next day, they look along a seam because there's the built-in hood, and they see... Funland, <laughs> and then they end up buying the right or excuse me fun world they buy the whole rights to it and everything but the most iconic part of the movie Ghostface was almost completely not there and if you look at the concept ones they did it's got this like lumpy head and like more of a furrowed brow not cute what's so crazy about that is i mean fuck when that movie came out how many people were that for halloween i had three different yeah. versions Fucking- of it Everybody. I had the yeah. bloody one, the normal one, and the third one. Well, at the time, it was like one of the highest producing like horror movies. Yeah. It was I crazy. I love this great. movie. Fucking great. I, Scream is iconic. I, I, we've talked about it on this show. As a kid, I like I liked Scream because it was possible. You know? Yeah. It's out there, but at least it like Columbine, stuff like that, where you're like, a person can take a knife and stab you. And the fact that it's some depraved idiot versus some madman who's like a ghost person or whatever. But they make them so real too, where they're like, I kind of want to review the movie so I didn't do tons of research on it. Yeah. But they like fall over furniture when they're like kicked right. and stuff. Right. That's right. great because it's like, yeah, that's this what's what real. somebody should do. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I threw a whole couch and it hit you and you didn't even move because you're so awesome or whatever. Yeah. That's a very deliberate choice because it's not exactly. on the script. I think that's one of the more interesting elements of it is making people sympathetic. Not sympathetic, but realistic. And you're Exactly. Like, right. Right. They're so just dudes. Dudes slinging dicks. I actually... So it's 1997. Like, can we kind of breeze through the next ones? Because they're not very good. Right. But basically after Scream came out, they were like, hey, I want three more. <laughs> yeah. The Weinsteins <laughs> come up to them at this first screening and they say, we got a three movie deal. Two of those movies are Scream sequels, and then you can have a third movie to do whatever the fuck you want. So in 97, he does Scream 2. In 99, he does Music of the Heart. 2000, he does Scream 3. Yes. Music of the Heart, we've talked about it. It's the Meryl Streep film where she plays this teacher in Harlem who fi- self-finances a violin project because she wants to keep art alive. It was a very competently made film. It was well-acted and well-executed, but here's an interesting it's not fact. Scream. Well, and also, <laughs> yeah. here's one of the things. So the, the producers even tried to give him a one-up. 
They're like, okay, we'll cast Madonna. That's going to sell tickets. And he's like, no, I don't want Madonna. I want Meryl Streep. And like Meryl Streep classically doesn't sell tickets. She's good. She doesn't sell tickets. And he ends up firing Madonna. And she was in another Miramax project. And they were like, okay, you can fire Madonna, but you have to do it because we don't want her to hate us. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, like break up with our girlfriend for us. Yeah. That's, That's probably the most good. interesting part of that movie, right? Agreed. Yeah. Anything on Scream 2 and 3? No. I mean, I don't know. They both were very successful as well. Yeah. Uh, Scream 2 has a great opening. I think that right. that's the One best and part. two are great openings. Yeah. I don't even remember the opening for three or four. No, I don't either. In two, it's Jada Pinkett Smith watching right. Stab in theaters, which is the story based on the first one. It's very I interesting. I don't recall the third or fourth. Nah. Nope. Nothing. In 2005, he did Red Eye where he has a cameo as an airline passenger. Yep. 2005, he does Cursed yep. with Kevin Williamson, and it's cursed, and it flops. <laughs> well, it's another one that was pulled every which way and torn apart as well. They, like, completely rewrote the movie, like, midway. Well, and also, he's super critical of Kevin at this point. Yeah. He even says, like, if the movie had been more competently written and stuff like that in public, like, this isn't something where he has, like, a hush-hush conversation. Like, there are plenty of... Inter- I've watched three interviews where he talks shit specifically about this movie, and I think that he might have some bitterness about Scream in terms of, like, he feels like it's his movie more. Right. Which you see a lot. It's a, a frustrating thing from our perspective as reviewers is, like, you have a script, you have a director's vision, and those things are not always the same. But the way that the industry works, identifying what is what, I mean, like... It's this very hard. Think about how much work went into just a man in a ghost mask. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The, the, the script doesn't do that. That right. character is his creation, which has the same kind of attention to detail as Freddy Krueger. Like, it's very meticulously deliberate. Right. Well, so Christina Ricci is in Cursed, and she basically said that they filmed a good portion of the movie, and then she was told, like, to come back another day, and they had a completely different script where they even changed the roles of characters. So, like, she's like, oh, I have a brother now, and fuck, now we're going to refilm all this over again. And she was like, whatever, it's a job. <laughs> and so... That's like how mismatched and like torn apart it was. No, I'm not completely sure, but have instances like this happened where directors have gone so far as to just create their own company as far as like a production company? He actually has his own production company. Where they're just like, you know what? Fuck this. I don't want to deal with any of this bullshit anymore. You guys are changing so much that I'm just going to do everything myself. The problem is is that he had no money to bankroll it. Exactly. He so very hand to mouth. When I started researching Wes Craven, I was like, you know who sounds a little bit like this is Guillermo del Toro. Oh my god! He gets so many things where he's like, I'm working on this, I'm working on this, and it gets ripped out of his hands, and then he's like, I can't work with you, I'm out, and it's like back and forth with him too. And I'm like, I you, love Guillermo del Toro, but it sounds like he has a very similar role that Wes has. You wonder if it's if he truly is a creative genius or what, and yeah, he gets pulled in every which it, direction. Yep. Yeah, very, very astute. I think that's <laughs> Thank it's you. true. <laughs> I'm done for the night, ladies and gentlemen. Well, he like he attaches his name to a lot of stuff. He, he has so many projects in the work, and of them, how many get filmed? Exactly. And everyone, though, I think most of the people are like, "Please make it, please make it, please make it," because most of his work, I think, I really enjoy. I'd say so. Yeah. Except for what is the Army of Gold or whatever? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Part the two of Hellboy sucks. two. Yeah. Everybody who argues with him because sucker cocks. No. And I think that that one is directly him messing that one up because they gave on him a purpose. 
Yeah, he gave yeah, him... Yeah, he sabotaged it. They gave him a lot more creative freedom, and he just turned up the, like, comedic value on that. I turned it into a bucket of shit cocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was not good. He... One of the things that's interesting about it, he just, at that point, was like, okay, well, I can't get back to the comics, and they won't let me, so I'm going to go way over here. Right. So, again, it's a little bit of a mixed bag of shit. Uh, 2010, <laughs> he wrote and directed My Soul to Take. What movie exactly... And then I had an interesting note that I'd like to point out. Please point. He said that a made-for-TV movie he did called Invitation to Hell, wherein a man makes a suit <laughs> that can go to hell through a country club to save his family, is the, quote, most preposterous premise he ever did. <laughs> I reply, a ghost janitor rapist man who killed you in your dreams. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? Because that's his idea. Invitation to Hell is written by someone else. Well, yeah. Invitation to Hell was very strange, though, because it was a suit that was able to re withstand high heat temperatures. And then they moved to a new town and it's a he goes and these people are like trying to get him into a golf club. And he's like, oh, OK. And then he finds out there's a secret passage to hell underneath and they kind of like take his family or something and he has to go in hell and get them back. Very Stepford hmm. cultist kind of thing. Right. All right. Shall Very we talk strange. about his uh, cameos? Sure. Go for it. Fred the janitor in Scream, dressed mm -hmm. as Fred the Kruger in Nightmare on Elm Street. He plays himself in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back in a fascinating scene where they make fun of Miramax by revealing that the killer is actually a chimpanzee. Yes. And <laughs> I, an ape. Or a, a chimpanzee it, is an ape. It's sure. Yeah. I was thinking, I meant to say orangutan, but it's a chimp. It's a chimp. It's a chimp. I hope the second one's good. It's oh, not going to be. Yeah. He plays Should the be. drunk in Body Bags, the neighbor in Shocker, a newsreader in Diary of the Dead, and himself in New Nightmare. And that are, is his cameos. How does he die? A brain tumor. It's, it's not a tumor. It's a tumor. <laughs> it is a tumor. <laughs> Do you, okay, let's imagine. Oh, and he does have a third wife, and he dies still being married. So third yeah, time is had, a winner. At least he had that going for him. Yeah. And till death do us part he's, for real though he's not as shitty as a parent as I thought because his son and daughter are in his life throughout his yeah. son becomes a producer like relatively taken care of yeah he it's works like, he well, works with his later, son a lot dicks. yeah he yeah. works with his son a lot as because his son turns into producer as well okay and then his daughter I think is like a musician did he have any other kids after his first marriage I think it's only the no, two no it's just the two wow okay yeah, but I mean, you got to keep in mind, he was 31 in 70. So he lived to be 76. So by the time of his like second and third marriage, hey, he's like you a late... can still pump him out, even at you that can. age. Mick, yeah, Mick Jagger's <laughs> doing it. But I mean, he was very self-involved. I mean, yeah, he, he kind yeah. of... I, I mean, mean, also, it, maybe it's more or less him thinking like, I'm broke a lot. So maybe I don't <laughs> want to have some more kids. Well, he, he said for like his third wife, he, he said, I'm completely done with romance. I don't want to be married. I don't want to date anyone. And then his like friend finally convinced him to go on like this blind date with a girl. And he was like, we talked all night. And then he ended up getting married for the third hmm. time. I compare him a lot. We were talking about this before we recorded that I compare him to Michael Jackson in the sense that he was uh, kind of deprived of a childhood. <laughs> and then he just spent the rest of his life living it out in a he weird way. He touches little boys. New. Okay. He creates a character that touches little boys. Yep. <laughs> That's actually very true. But you, my point being... He, but that was also weird about Freddie. Because Freddie... 
didn't just stick to just little girls or little boys. He like crossed both. Which is weird that the Babadook becomes this fucking like gay icon or gender queer or LGBTQ RSTUVWXYZ, <laughs> but not Freddie. Like Freddie always made sense to me that he could be the that character, especially with his sardonic view of pop culture, but whatever. My point that I was trying to make before you derailed me, I am That's a professional. Right. Uh-huh. I'm focused. I'm razor sharp. Who's what derailing? the fuck was I saying? Who's derailing who? <laughs> what was I, I know we didn't touch on a lot of the movies like with real depth, but I think I those like are the can... ones that we want to probably review later. And also, we, like on we for our sure research episodes, we were talking about this is your starting off point to do research. This is not where you end. Like, if I wanted to do a page by page biography of the guy we would be here for fucking 10 hours and it would be a, exactly. a whole month's worth of slashers do you want that or you want me to talk about some weird butt fucking movie next week fuck boys <laughs> i will say that uh, the fuck book girls. that i listened to was uh west craven a man and his nightmares also several stuff on youtube with interviews with him so if you guys are ever interested Go check it out. Yeah, and one of the things, he's super well-polished. The amount of things that you hear that are repetitious. There were times where I thought I was looking at the same interview over again because yeah. it's very well-rehearsed. He's, he's good at speaking. I mean, he's got a very soothing presence. You totally understand what people like Nev Campbell were saying. Like, oh, he's the consummate professional, never raises his voice, blah, blah. And he stays on brand. All of his quotes and stuff are kind of like out there, but he's done them over and over. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the things are a little inconsistent, so I had to delve a little bit deeper than I thought I would because he would make like sweeping statements like I'd never seen a movie, and then it was I never saw a non-Disney movie. Things like that. And then my first movie was uh, Night of the Living Dead. In truth, that was his first horror movie. His first right. movie was you know To Kill a Mockingbird. So you know it, if it's worth it to you to do the research, do it. But if not, who gives a fuck? Yeah, boys, what do we think? Shall we create a new rating system? Wes Craven, the best biography we've ever done. <laughs> Yes, because it's the only hot dog. We have a reigning and defending champion. <laughs> so hopefully you guys actually really like the episode. I think we had fun doing it. So if you guys mm. like it, uh, we will definitely do more of these. Sorry we have a that lot I've of... steamrolled you, Jet. Legitimately. No, no, it's fine. I didn't know what we were doing before I came today. So. <laughs> yeah. You were on vacation. You're still in vacation, Brian mode. You were. You were like, I'm going to be behind the scenes. So we just put you behind the scenes on the scenes, <laughs> which is fine. You did a very competent job. Yeah, uh, well, you we'll gave a, just the best retelling of the children under the stairs I've ever seen. People under the stairs I've ever <laughs> no, heard. No, no, it was really bad. Uh, I was like, yeah, I really like that film. And I'm like, fuck. Now I have to think about what I really liked about the film. Which is weird. Like, yeah. Gimps in superhero costumes. Yeah. Before we started this, we we're like, oh, yeah, Swamp Thing. And we're like, we all like Swamp Thing all as I a remember, kid. And then we were like, let's rewatch it. And we kind of start watching. We're like, oh, I no. I remember he tricks, he tricks the guy <laughs> in the gimp suit at the very end of the film because the guy in the gimp suit is super obsessed over his gold coins. And so he took a candle and he put the coins inside the candle and then he lit it. So when the candle wax would go down, the coins would fall on the ground. So it's like he's counting coins on the ground. Like it would like land on the floor and it would be like ting, 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 ting. So it would just be like multiple coins falling on the ground like over and over again slowly. So it sounds like kids like counting coins and throw them on the ground. So he's upstairs in the attic and he's like chasing the kid around with a shotgun and he hears that and he's like, ha. I'm going to get you. So he jumps around the corner and he like shoots the shotgun without like looking and it's just a fucking candle. (laughs) Exactly. And then uh, all I remember is something like there's like dynamite somewhere and the guy gets blown out through the side of his house. And boom goes the dynamite. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) So watch it. 
<laughs> or not. <laughs> or not. <laughs> Is it time to sign off, boys? Yes. So. Do it, Brian. If you ain't watching him dying, you ain't really trying. Enjoy killing time. Until next week. And I'm Jake. Oh, should I? I'm going to do a whole long way. <laughs> I'm Jake. I'm trying to do the <laughs> ghost face voice. What's your favorite scary movie, Sydney? <laughs> anyway, I'm Jake, reminding you to go out there and do something you love. And remember that all work and no power play makes Jack a dull boy. I have an embarrassing confession, goons. I don't know how to pronounce this band's name. It very well could be Denzel. It could also be Dead News Zebra Labrador. DNZL. You can find them on the internet at DNZLHXC, which for the uninitiated means hardcore. The band is an East Coast band, but we won't hold that against them. They have shows coming up September 19th at the Opus in Salem, Massachusetts, where they are playing with some kind of nightmare in Sky Tigers. They also have another show November 9th at Barney McNabs with Distance Kept, Carnage Crew, Billy Club Sandwich, and Onyx. So enjoy either Denzel or Dead New Zealand Ladyfingers with their song, Fences.
die by you. Make them do right. <laughs>